Does anyone else want to meet that guy, whoever <laughs> did that voice? I like to imagine him with like a vest and a pocket watch, you know, you know, smoking a pipe kind of guy. Uh, listen, I, uh, I love the stories where the, one of the bad guys turns into one of the good guys. I, they always get me. The hyenas are the, my favorite characters in The Lion King. Uh, Loki, all throughout the Marvel movies, right at the beginning, he's just the worst, the absolute worst. But kind of gradually, he, he becomes more and more noble, and all of a sudden, you find yourself just kind of rooting for the guy. Or the, the classic uh, in uh, Christmas Carol, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, he starts off, he's just so cold and self-centered, but by the end of it, he's warm and, and he's selfless. He puts others first. I think I, I think I love those stories because they, they remind us that it's, it's really, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And, and, and they also remind us that it's really, it's never too late to change directions. And I don't know about you, but that, that offers me hope, man. That's, that's so much, there's so much hope in that. Uh, as we move toward Christmas, we're sort of shaking the family tree of Jesus and l- taking a look at some of the characters that fall out. And I tell you, it's a, it's a mixed bag. And that kind of comforts me because I don't know about your family tree, but mine, it's kind of a, it's a mixed bag as well. There's, there's small stars and then there's, there's some just regular stars. And there, <laughs> you know, there's some people in, in the family tree of Christ and in, in our own family trees, there's, there's some people that start well but they don't, they don't finish well. And I don't want to be in that category. I, I assume if you're in this room today, you don't want to be in that category either. But on the other hand, we look at some of the, the characters and they, they don't start so well, but they finish well. And I tell you, I want to, I want to be in that category. I, I look at my, my dad, um, he was, he was a good guy. He was, he was, he was a solid dude. But he, he had his hang-ups. He had his imperfections. He had his foolishness. Uh, but he finished well. Uh, the type of guy my dad was, I remember when we were si- I was six years old, and we're out camping, and I said, Dad, I'd like to join the Boy Scouts. He goes, I ain't going to teach you nothing. I can't teach you in the Boy Scouts. And he puts a bunch of wood in a fire and douses it with gasoline and stands about <laughs> 10, feet, 10 feet from it and flicks it, and it was one of these arcs, and when he turns to me, he goes, I ain't going to teach you that in the Boy Scouts, are they? <laughs> After the last service, I had a guy who was volunteered as a fireman and said, tell people not to do that. That's really stupid. <laughs> we get people, yeah, I guess it's, a, it's an issue. It's a problem. Uh, but that kind of shows the, the foolishness of my dad when he was a younger man. But what I admire about my old man is that he finished well. He was 52 years old. He got diagnosed uh, with stage four kidney cancer, which he fought for three months, and then the Lord took him home. And during that time, he just, he just had this attitude. And, and, and even in the most intense pain, uh, he had this mindset, and he said, he said it to me a couple different times in a couple, a couple different ways. He basically said, you know, Brandon, if the Lord heals me, I'm not gonna complain. But if I kick the bucket and go be with Jesus, that doesn't sound too bad either. And uh, that was his mindset. And I just, I loved the way he, he finished. It was so God honoring. And I want to finish that way too. I, I, and I assume you do as well. The character we're going to look at, one of Jesus' ancestors today, his name's Judah. And I love his story. And not because he was perfect. 
He wasn't. This guy is an absolute train wreck, and he, he was terrible. But he didn't finish terrible, and that's, what I, that's why I love this story. You see, this story, if you're familiar with Judah, you'll know that it, he, he, he kind of teaches us it's never too late to change course. It's never too late to, to begin leaving a, a God-honoring legacy, and that's what, that's what I want to do. I assume that's what you want to do. I want us to be the kind of church that, that does that. So let's look at Judah today, the man with very dark past, but I believe he had a bright future. And I'm, I want us to look at his life in three snapshots, as a young man, as a middle-aged man, and as a little bit older man. Snapshot number one comes to us from Genesis chapter 37, and we'll see Judah as an absolute heartless and greedy man. So at this point, Judah's young, picture early 20s. Uh, he and several of his brothers have had enough of their, of their younger brother, Joseph. You might be familiar with this story. See, Joseph was their father's favorite. He was, he was son number 11, but what you got to understand is that Joseph was the firstborn child of Jacob's favorite wife. So Jacob adored Joseph, and he made him this special, colorful coat, and, uh, which just really uh, broadcasted the favoritism. And as you know, favoritism always poisons families. So no surprise, Jacob's other sons are super jealous of Joseph. And then on top of that, Joseph starts having these dreams where the older brothers were going to bow down before him. And they were going to serve him, the younger brother. And the little punk has the audacity to brag about it uh, to the already not, uh, not too happy with him older brothers, right? They're already jealous. And Joseph has the audacity to say, hey, guys, guys, why do I have these dreams? Y'all are going to bow down to me. <laughs> you guys are going to serve me. What do you think about that? Uh, and uh, needless to say, this doesn't go over too well with the older brothers, you know. Uh, it's like, you know, read the room, Joseph. <laughs> they go, you know what? What if we kill this guy? <laughs> hey, what are you doing later? Uh, what if we just kill him and throw him in a pit? What do you and the rest of them, they go, perfect. <laughs> what, a, what a mess. So they all agree, all right, we're going to kill him, we're going to throw him in the pit. And then the oldest one, Reuben, he steps in, he says, oh, not so fast. Don't kill him. We don't want his blood on our hands, right? Just throw him in the pit. <laughs> and you go, what on earth am I reading? Well, in verse 24 of uh, chapter 37 says, and they took him and threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. So they, they leave Joseph for dead. They leave their younger brother for dead. Can you imagine? And then you would assume they'd be pretty, pretty disturbed by this. You, you'd pretty, you, would dis, you would assume that their consciences would be troubled. But in verse 25 we read, this is, this is what they did after. They sat down to eat. you believe this? These guys leave their brother to starve to death and then they sit down and have a sandwich. It's like it doesn't bother him. These, these are very, these are reprobates. These are deplorable wretches. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. 
Then, jo- uh, then Judah said to his brothers, now here's our, here's our all-star here. Here's our here's man of the hour, Judah. He says, hey, listen, what does it profit if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? That's not, that's not too, that, that doesn't help us out at all. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. Do you hear this? This is, this is Judah. This is the type of guy he is. He's, he, he was okay with murdering him. He was okay with leaving him in a pit to starve to death. And then he says, hold on. He is our, our brother after all. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Can you imagine? Then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So that's Judah, snapshot number one. That's the character of the man we're talking about today. He was okay with murdering his own brother. He's okay uh, with, with letting him starve to death. And then he says, well, you know what? We might as well make a couple bucks. I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know how much 20 shekels of silver uh, would go for these days, somewhere between a few hundred bucks and a few thousand bucks. Uh, the point is, 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 is not what's important. It was his willingness. Right? This is Judah. And as a side note, I would like to mention that there's no reason for you to believe that this story didn't actually happen. Uh, There are other Mesopotamian documents from this era that uh, state that the going rate of a slave was between 15 and 20, or 15 and 30 shekels of silver. This is, these are not fictional characters. This is an actual child sold into real slavery by his own brother. This is Judah in snapshot number one. He's cowardly. He should have stood up and fought for his brother. He should have been an advocate. He should have said, no, this is our brother. We're not going to treat him. Beyond that, he's a human. He has dignity. He was made in the image of God for crying out loud. We're not going to sell him like, like he's a, a, a cattle or something. He should, he was, he, Judah's a coward. Judah's also greedy. What does it profit? Well, we just kill him. We might as well make some money off the kid. He's greedy and he's self-centered. Doesn't care about anyone but himself. That's snapshot number one. Snapshot number two comes to us from Genesis 38. And here we see that Judah is not just greedy and self-centered, but he is also sexually immoral. Now, I'll tell you, Genesis chapter 38 is one of the most bizarre chapters in the entire Bible. It's one of those ones where you do, when you're doing a Bible reading plan for the first time and you come to this chapter, you read it and you're going, what on earth is happening in this? They put this sort of stuff in this book? I didn't know that. I didn't know, they never taught me that in Sunday school. They didn't have, you know, this on the flannel graph when I was a kid. I'll tell you, uh, It's a bizarre chapter, but it's important for two reasons. One, it gives us the full picture of the story of who Judah was. And for his story to preach like it does, you need to understand his character. Number two is that it is 
integral in preserving the genealogy of Christ. So uh, this chapter is bizarre, but it's important. So what happens here? Time has gone by. Judah, has, he has gotten married. He has had sons. The sons have grown up, and as it turns out, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Immoral Judah has raised two wicked sons. Son number one is so wicked, the Lord put him to death. The Bible doesn't give us any other details than that. Dude was super wicked. God put him to death. Let's us fill in the blanks. Uh, and when he died, he left behind a widow named Tamar. Now, son number two then is supposed to marry Tamar to have children with her in order to carry on his older brother's lineage. This is very foreign and, and, and bizarre to us, but it's an ancient custom called leveret marriage wherein the younger brother would be obligated to marry the old, deceased older brother's widow in the event that he passed away and she was childless so that the children they would have would carry on the older brother's lineage. Does that make sense? It's weird to us. It was what was expected back then. In fact, Tamar would be offended if she wasn't allowed to marry the second son. These are different times. But uh, what happens here, son number two doesn't do it. You see, Son number one gets the lion's share of the inheritance. Son number two gets pittance. However, son number one kicks the bucket. Son number two becomes son number one, and he gets the inheritance. But if son number two carries on sons for son number one, they get the lion's share of the inheritance. So I believe greedy Judah, big surprise, has raised a greedy son. You know, he doesn't want to share the inheritance, but he doesn't want to miss out. He doesn't say no to the opportunity um, for immorality. I'll, I'll spare you the explicit details. I'll put it this way. He uses Tamar or Tamar, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, the long A does not exist in the Hebrew language, so it should be pronounced Tamar. He, he, he uses her for what wicked men have been using women for uh, since the dawn of time. And he does so in a way that guarantees she will not have a child and she will not be able to carry on her husband's line. You can put the pieces together here. You start to realize the depravity of this family. The depravity of Judah and his family is appalling. This is so wicked that God puts son number two to death as well. No surprise, greedy, immoral Judah has raised greedy, immoral children. Now, at this point, if Judah didn't have another son, culturally, Tamar would go back to her father's household as a widow. But Judah's got another son. He's just not quite old enough to get married yet. But Judah still sends Tamar back to her family anyway. Which tells Tamar, especially after time goes by, this is the end of the line for you. I'm not going to give you my third son. Have fun being a childless widow the rest of your life. So Tamar goes back to her home. 
More time goes by. Judah's wife passes away. He grieves for a little bit. He's not a complete monster, but it doesn't take him long to, to get back to his debauched way of living. The next, uh, the next uh, time we see him, he's on a business trip, and he sees a young woman with the veil of a prostitute, and so he picks her up, and he does what wicked men have due to vulnerable women. He doesn't happen to have any cash or any goats on him, so he gives her his signature ring, his signet ring, and, and his cord and his staff, kind of his collateral. And then he, he moves on. And this is what we read in Genesis 38, 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. What a scandal. And Judah says, here comes our hero right here, huh? Bring her out and let her be burned. What an absolute hero. You get the picture of the man Judah was? Completely immoral. Absolute hypocrite. Completely heartless completely self-centered, driven by lust, driven by greed, driven by pride. All he cares about is himself, and it doesn't matter who gets hurt. That's Judah. And what happens next does two things. One, it makes me a huge fan of Tamar. And two, I think it begins to wake Judah up. Verse 25 says, and she was being brought out, or as she was being brought out, this is Tamar, as she was being brought out to, to be burned, put to death, executed publicly, she sent word to her father-in-law. Who's that? That's Judah. By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord. And the staff. Judah, you got any idea whose these are? And Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. Why do I say this is where Judah starts to wake up? Look at his words right there. He says, she is more righteous than I. Translation, I am unrighteous. This isn't a declaration of Tamar's righteousness necessarily. This is an admission of Judah's unrighteousness. Now this, think about this. Pause. This is in a public square. This is, this is public. And publicly, he has to, before everyone, he has to walk back what he has just said. Bring her out, let her be burned. We don't tolerate that kind of immorality here. And then he has to admit to everyone, well, we all know it takes two to tango. And I, I was the other dance partner. You see, that's the first time we see the narcissist Judah admit any guilt, show any sign of repentance. This is the first time he acknowledges any wrongdoing. 
This is the first time Judah takes responsibility for his sin. And I think his heart starts to break here. I think he starts to wake up because by the time we get to snapshot number three, Judah is different. Snapshot number one, we see he's, he's this greedy, self-centered man and heartless. In snapshot number two, we see he is a sexually immoral man, lust-driven. But in snapshot number three, he, he's changed. He's, there's a humility. Uh, there's a, there, he's, he, he's got a certain noble air about him. He, he's putting others first. Let's read this in, in Genesis chapter 44. Here, what, what's going on? This snapshot, it takes place in Egypt. Now, there's a severe famine in the land, and, and Judah and his brothers, they come to Egypt to try to buy food so their family doesn't starve to death. And what they don't know is that little Joseph, whom they have so, sold into slavery all those years ago, has risen to a position of, of very high authority in Egypt. Think like a prime minister, number two in command. And, and, and they find themselves bowing before Joseph and referring to themselves as his servant. Turns out little Joseph's dreams weren't, didn't miss the mark. They weren't too far off. And they don't even recognize him. And, and how could they? So many years had gone by, and, and who would ever suspect such a thing? Uh, and, and Joseph's in all his Egyptian garb. They don't recognize him, but here's, what's happen here's what happens. He recognizes them. And then he tests them. And I believe he's just in testing them this way. He wants to see, are you guys still the type of treacherous reprobates that would sell your younger brother into slavery? And so he says, hey, I want you to bring your youngest brother to me. So they go back to Jacob, and they, and they tell him, you know, Father, listen, if we, go, if we go back to Egypt, we've got to bring Benjamin. We've got to bring the youngest. Right? The guy down there running the show, he, he commanded it. He says, he, he says we won't be able to see his face again if we don't have Benjamin with us. And Jason, Jacob basically says, are you guys trying to kill me? Are you, are you trying to rip my heart right out of my chest? I had two sons with the woman I loved dearly. One of them's gone. And now you want to risk the other one's life like this? Are, are you trying to, to kill me? Verse 8 of chapter 43. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. And we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Boy, that sounds different, doesn't it? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like younger Judah. He's willing to put his, at least... At least saying it, you know, is this, is this just talk? I don't know. But at least he's saying that he is willing to put, to, to save your own skin, Judah, is willing to put his own skin uh, in the game, to put his own life on the line so that his whole family doesn't starve to death. And he says, I personally 
will take care of him. I'll protect him. I, I promise I'll bring him back. Is this, is this just talk? I, I don't think so. You see how it goes on, how it continues. Jacob agrees, and they, they, so they all go back uh, into Egypt, and, and they're before Joseph again, and this time Joseph really turns up the heat and, and, and in testing them. He, he plants a very valuable item in uh, Benjamin's bag, so it'll look like he's stealing it. And then he has them get caught so that it exposes his, his alleged theft, and then they're back before Joseph. And Judah, uh, Judah says, listen, we will do anything. What can we do to make it right? He starts pleading with Joseph. He says, whatever, whatever you say, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to make it right. And Joseph, still testing them, he says, listen, there's no need for all y'all to pay the price. Just, just the one who committed the crime. Don't worry. The rest of you guys go back to your father. But why don't you leave the younger one? Here, with me, in slavery, in Egypt. See how he's testing them. He's almost recreating the conditions to see if they'll repeat the behavior. And then Judah, this is where Judah's different, man. He goes up to Joseph. Think about this. Prime minister of Egypt, right? He's the king's right-hand man. He is literally the second most powerful man on the planet at the time. Judah goes right up to him face-to-face -face and says, Listen, you, you told us to bring our younger brother next time we come. And we told you, man, he's... He's far too precious to our father. We, 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 we couldn't risk his life like that. But you said if we didn't bring him, we'd never see your face to, again. So he says, listen, I swore to my father. I promised him that I would protect him. I promised my father I would protect my younger brother and bring him back safely. And then Judah says this. Well, keep in mind, this is Judah we're talking about, who is totally self-centered and greedy. This is the Judah that sold his younger brother into slavery. Genesis 44, verse 33. He says, Now therefore, please let your servant, he's talking about himself, let your servant remain instead of the boy. I will be a servant to you, my Lord. You hear what he says right there? Let the, go, let the boy go back with his brothers. You hear what, Joseph, or what Judah says right there to Joseph? He says, listen, no, 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 no. Let the boy go free. I will substitute myself in for him. I, I'll become a prisoner and a slave so that he can go free. Verse 34, for how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Judah not only cares so much about Benjamin and the rest of his family, he cares so much about the heart of his father. And he says, I couldn't do that. I can't imagine what that would do to my father. Do you have any idea how much my father loves this kid? At these words, Joseph just comes undone. He, he, uh, ver, uh, chapter 43 says he couldn't control himself. He wept so loudly, everyone heard it. I mean, this is a powerful moment. Right? The same Judah who sold his younger brother into slavery is now willing to become a slave so his little brother can go free. Judah has changed, and he's different. 
And I love faith. He goes from being godless to, to God-honoring. He goes from self-centered to, to selfless. Judah is, is different. And this is, this is not greed here. This is not lust anymore. This is not self-centeredness anymore, man. This is love. Greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for his friend. This is gospel-centered, Christ-exalting love. This is love that takes the form of the cross. Judah willing to substitute himself. Now, this doesn't erase Judah's dark past. Don't get me wrong. But it does forge a brighter future. See, I love Judah's story because it offers, it offers us hope. It preaches a gospel that says it doesn't matter who you were. If there's still breath in your lungs, there is still hope for a better future. There's still hope for you. And church, this morning, I want you to hear that even if you got a dark past, God can still give you a bright future. It doesn't matter how you started. What matters is how you, how you finish. What matters is that you leave a God-honoring legacy, and as long as your heart's still beating, there's still time. So how do you do that? How do you leave a, a God-honoring legacy rather than a self-centered legacy? I want to look at three lessons from Judah. But before we look at these lessons, I want you to pause and ask yourself, what legacy am I going to lead, leave? What kind of legacy? Am I going to finish in a God-honoring manner or a self-centered manner? Number one, how do you leave a legacy that honors God? Number one, Judah takes responsibility for his sin. If you want to leave a God-honoring legacy, step one is take ownership of your, of your sins. This is having a repentant heart before God and others. God is eager to forgive. He's not going to forgive what you don't trust him with. He's not going to forgive what you hide from him. He's not going to forgive what you won't even admit. Right? He's got to bring it into the light. And when God forgives, I want to be clear, it doesn't, it, it doesn't erase or hide the past or change the past. God forgives, but the, the, the law of the harvest is still in place. As you sow, you, you will reap. There are consequences on earth for our actions that dishonor God and hurt other people, always. God will forgive. We might still have some of the consequences here on earth, right? I could, I could go out and get drunk and wreck my pickup and lose an arm. God's gonna forgive me, but I'm still gonna walk around the rest of my life with one arm. God forgives. Uh, what we sow will reap, but God will forgive, and that will give a brighter a brighter future. Now, number two, Judah prioritizes the well-being of others over himself. Does that make sense? He prioritizes the, the, the others above himself. He was willing to become a prisoner and a slave if it meant his little brother didn't have to. There's no such thing as a God-honoring legacy that doesn't reflect the gospel in this way. You wanna leave a God-honoring legacy, count others more worthy of honor than yourself. Uh, prioritize others, choose to love 
others, take care of others. This is, this is what Jesus said. This is the greatest commandment. What's, what's the most important thing in this life? Love God with all your heart. Love others more than you love yourself. Uh, so Judah takes ownership of his sin. Judah prioritizes the well-being of others above self. And number three, ultimately, Judah would point people to Jesus. And see, through this dark, twisted, sinful mess of a life, including the stuff with Tamar and, and all of it, through Judah would eventually come a much better Judah. Would, through Judah would, much, would come a much better older brother who would never sin, yet would be crucified. See, through Judah would come the Messiah. And Jesus, he wouldn't be like Judah. He wouldn't have snapshots one and two, but he had snapshot number three. That points to Jesus. The, the heart that says, I get how much my father loves his kids and I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to become a servant. The son of man came to serve, not to be served. And how did he do that? By giving his life as a ransom for many. You wanna leave a God honoring legacy. Point people to Jesus. So let's, church, let's own our sin. Let's be the type of people who do that. Let's put others first. And let's point people to Jesus. We all do that. And not only will all of us leave God-honoring legacies, but we'll be a church that leaves a God-honoring legacy rather than a church that's just another headline, just another excuse for people to walk away from God. Now, I want to take a moment and draw our attention to the night before the son of 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 Judah would substitute himself for his younger siblings. I want to remind us of the words our Lord spoke the night he was betrayed, that he took the bread and after giving thanks and after blessing it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. This is broken for you. Take and eat. And likewise, he took the cup, and after blessing it, he said, this, this is my blood poured out for you, for new covenant, a new shot at a relationship with the Father who loves you. So take now and drink. Pray with me. Lord, we, we, we follow Judah's story and it inspires us. Not because he was glorious, but because you are. He squandered his first chance and his second chance and, and countless chances after that, but you always had another chance for him and you changed him and you changed his family and you changed his legacy. He was different. He wasn't hiding his sin anymore. He wasn't all about him anymore. 
He's pointing people to you and taking accountability for his actions. He's willing to lay down his life. And that just screams, Christ! Jesus, we love the way that you took the cross for us and we love that you rose again. We love the hope we have in you. We love you. Would you now bless my church and anyone in here, Lord, who thinks their past is so dark that they don't have a shot at a bright future, I pray that you would prove them wrong. God, would we leave a legacy behind us that honors you? Would you help us to finish well to the glory of Jesus? Amen. Would you stand now and let's finish by singing to this amazing Jesus of ours. joy, the peace, the patience, the goodness, the kindness, the faithfulness, the self-control that is ours in Christ and found in his spirit. Church, may God richly bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.